Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Emily Hutchinson. And I'm your co-host, Brittany Melton. And today we are here with Audra Quinn. Thank you very much for being here. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. So just to start us off very generally, what is what is it that you're doing at Western? Good question. What am I doing here? <laughs> uh, I'm a PhD candidate. I'm in my now fifth year. Um, and I am studying at Ivy Business School and specifically in the entrepreneurship discipline. Um, so I'm doing research and uh, teaching and uh, looking to uh, hopefully get a job as a, as a tenure track professor. And so then with business, right, studying business, I'm assuming that means you probably have interest in business yourself or, or, or are you more interested in like the pedagogical area of business? Like, have you been involved in, in, in business or entrepreneurship yourself? Yes, absolutely. So my interest in pursuing an academic path was very much driven by my own entrepreneurial experience. Um, I launched a startup out of my MBA program. I did an MBA at Pepperdine University and took my very first course in new venture creation. And I really had never thought about entrepreneurship previously. I had been um, doing more of a journalism digital marketing career at that point. And so uh, I did the MBA kind of because I was working at Pepperdine University and it was this awesome benefit that we could do um, part-time on a heavily discounted basis. But um, throughout the MBA program, I was kind of like, what am I doing here? Because I always felt like I was more of a creative type, a writer. And um, so accounting was terribly painful for me and, you know, had me questioning a lot of this. And then finally I got into this entrepreneurship course and I was just like, oh, this is why I'm here. Like, this is exactly the nexus of so many of the things that I love, you know, creative problem solving, public speaking, um, marketing, and, you know, you get to kind of do all the things when you are an entrepreneur. So that really appealed to me too, is kind of this Jack of all or Jane of all trades, I should say, kind of approach. So yeah, in that class, I pitched a couple of different ideas that was kind of part of the the curriculum and one of the ideas was um a wine tasting game actually that um i just thought was kind of a throwaway idea but there was huge interest from all the students of course it was kind of like my wheelhouse demographic um 20 somethings who had you know a lot of exp- expendable income and time and so everyone was like Hey, if you make that, I would buy that. There was a lot of interest in being part of the R and D, as you can imagine, of, of playtesting, and so I kind of just pursued that interest and and started developing the game further. I enlisted a couple of co-founders, and we entered the Pepperdine Business Plan Competition, and I we weren't really sure that we were going to win. Pepperdine University. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it's a little bit of a conservative place, and we were launching a we called it a a tasting game, not a drinking game, a sophisticated <laughs> tasting game. Um, but we had an eight foot wine bottle mascot named Corky who came out in the middle of our pitch and, you know, we really went for it. Um, but we didn't really expect to win because of the, you know, context and, um, we're surprised that we won. So we had a little bit of seed funding, uh, and, and that gave us some new confidence. Um, and then ultimately we turned to Kickstarter, um, crowdfunding platform to, make sure that people wanted to buy this thing. And we had a successful crowdfunding campaign to kind of um, produce the first run of games. 
So read between the wines is the name of the game. Uh, and, and then we, there was a lot of interest from our followers for a craft beer version. So we launched Brouhaha, which is the craft beer version and whiskey business was the third game, which is actually more of like a strategic dice game. Cause it's, you know, a little bit dicey literally to um, be tasting that much whiskey. So um you are, you know, we encourage people to to sip as they play, but um, yeah, so those are the three games and um, back to the whole academic path. I also had the opportunity to teach, um, you know, out of the success of this venture, I had a mentor at Pepperdine who um, kind of saw in me, I think the potential to be a good researcher and professor. And he kind of took me under his wing and let me do, be a TA and, and an RA. And, and then I ultimately took over some of his classes Um so I was interested also to, you know, kind of research entrepreneurship because there was a few things that happened in my entrepreneurial team that gave me some some interesting research ideas and uh, and really wanted to um, teach entrepreneurship because it was so fun to kind of be on the other side of the podium, if you will, and trying to kind of create that same life changing experience that I had because that class was really, you know, a huge, huge uh, game changer for me. Wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that is so cool. I can't believe, uh, like that you've had such success with those games. Like I sound like I want to play them now. Like even <laughs> like, this is not, you didn't even, were even doing a pitch to us, but I feel like, oh yeah, she got me. <laughs> yeah, no, the game was, um, really popular around holidays and, um, yeah, we sold out of our very first run, um, right away. And so, yeah, we, we definitely had some good success. And, and the, the thing that was great about it was that we didn't have to put a dime of our own money into it because we made sure to kind of use crowdfunding to de-risk in that way. And um, so it was really, I mean, I learned a ton. It's not like it was the next Google or anything, you know, it's it not going to net me a million dollars. But I was actually able to um, sell the my share of the company profitably and we were profitable every year. So yeah, it was really a cool, really learning lab for me, I would say. That's awesome. I do actually, just going back a bit to the, uh, the academic side, I just had a question. What is the the difference between an MBA and a PhD in entrepreneurship or a PhD in the business realm? Because I know a lot of us have heard about an MBA. We kind of have an idea what it is. But you don't really hear too many people doing a PhD in it. Could you talk a little bit about your experience with, with that, those two different things? Yeah, awesome question. An MBA is a, a completely practical degree where you do a lot of case studies, you uh, do a lot of group projects, um, really learning the the tricks and and the trade of being a manager, essentially. Um, And within an MBA program, you can you can specialize in various tracks, like from accounting or finance. Many MBA programs now have entrepreneurship specializations, which Pepperdine did. And so I doubled down on um, that. And I did the the entrepreneurship emphasis, which, as I said, you know, allows you to really try all the things because you, you know, there's a finance component there. You get a little bit of everything in the entrepreneurship specialization. A PhD is much more of a research focused degree where you, for the first two years, you really just learn methods um, and, and really the training to, to take on research. Uh, And then you do your own research and it's very self-directed and you have a supervisor and that sort of thing. Um, And then ultimately have to defend your your dissertation. So an MBA, there's no thesis or anything like that. It's truly practical, uh, and a PhD is uh, hugely impractical. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> 
Um, it can be if, if you don't want to, you know, pursue an academic career, I would say, but um, yeah, plenty of, of paths that you can take from, with a PhD as well. And I can just imagine just, just guessing. So you say you start off doing that, that coursework. And so I'm imagining, but I'm not hundred percent sure that your structure is probably quite similar to my, my own, which is um, that first two years being, or a year or so being that like coursework and then a comprehensive exam and then a dissertation. So then right now with your PhD work, so you've passed your comprehensive exams, right? You're, you're a candidate. And so you're currently working on your dissertation. That's right. And so what does that look like for you? What, like, what, what is your dissertation shaping up to be at this point? Yeah, my dissertation is really also born out of my experience. Um, so I had enlisted two co-founder friends to be part of my team and um, ended up, you know, it was wonderful to have them in the beginning. And then things kind of went south in particular with one of the co-founders. And this really took the wind out of my sails in terms of my motivation for the venture. You know, it was hugely stressful and and really just kind of devastating because it was a huge setback for um, for us all. So um, this actually ended up becoming the topic of my dissertation because I talked to lots of other people about this and and realized it's a very common situation for co-founders to have really tricky relationship challenges within the team. Um, and so I thought that this might be an interesting topic to pursue. I kind of delved into the research around it and found that in particular in the entrepreneurship field, there's very little about the, the different relationships within the team. Every All the research is really looking at the team as kind of the level of analysis and assuming it's already been formed and has been you know functioning for, for however long before it kind of came under the uh, attention of, of uh, a researcher and then looking at kind of the compositional characteristics of the team and how that relates to performance. And so it really abstracts away a lot of the kind of relational complexity that takes place in, in these teams. So my dissertation really kind of first, it's a three paper dissertation. So the first paper is just kind of a systematic literature review of what do we know about this? Um, and it turns out not very much. And <laughs> then the second paper, I'm kind of looking at one particular input into the decision, which is like selection criteria. What do, what do people look for in, in a co-founder? And are there certain combinations of criteria that are consistently associated with relationship quality? So like satisfaction with your co-founder. Um, because I do think that selecting is where you can really influence a lot of the um, the future of your your relationship, you know, make sure that you're looking for the right things. Um, and so this was a paper that kind of um, involved tons of interviews with entrepreneurs kind of to understand what they were looking for, how satisfied they were with their co-founders. This, of course, delved into several co-founder breakups. I mean, almost everybody had a story like this. Um, and so we kind of, I basically parsed through all these interviews and pulled out what I, what I felt like were the the key themes or, or fit dimensions that are really important to think about in, in a co-founder and recognizing that you probably can't have it all in a co-founder because, you know, these are very new, you know, they've got liabilities of newness is, is a term that's kind of, that's often used um, in management. Um, you really don't even maybe know what the venture is. You have kind of imperfect information and you can't just like call up Elon Musk and be like, Hey, I got this idea. Do you want to like, you, you have some limitations in your network, all of these things. Um, and so you kind of have some trade-offs. You have to kind of 
pick your must-haves and your nice-to-haves. So the kind of key fit dimensions that came out of that paper are, you know, personal fit. You've got to be able to enjoy this person's company. Um, and people talked a lot about like shared values and more of like a effective trust in, in that sense. Like, you know, I know I can count on this person. I can confide in them, that sort of thing. Um, and then on the flip side of that is more of the skills fit, you know, the, do they have the, the skills that are, that I don't have and that are necessary to launch this venture. Um, and that kind of also comes with a little bit of like a competence trust. Like I, I know that they can do the job. Um, and so those are kind of already well-established in the literature, but some other things kind of came out like familiarity, um, is something that was really polarizing among entrepreneurs, either like, I would never in a million years co-found with somebody that I didn't know my whole life versus I've had bad experiences in the past with co-founding with somebody that I know, and I'm never going to do that again kind of thing. So there was a lot of, um, you know, not a lot of gray area there. It was like kind of one or the other, which was interesting because that obviously really influences the other criteria that you might be thinking about. You know, if you have to choose someone that you know your whole life, like, are they going to have the skills that you need? And um, are we going to be able to work together professionally? Um and so that's another one of the areas of fit. It's like a work fit or work compatibility. And that's like, do we have similar work ethic? Can we communicate? Can we disagree productively? That was a very common theme that came out of that. Um, and then venture fit, because a lot of times people, when they're looking for a co-founder, they have a, an idea already in mind and they want somebody who's as excited about this idea and um, is kind of you know, committed in the way that they are also committed, whether that's full-time or part-time, but, you know, whatever the expectation is. Um, and then finally, something that's really commonly studied in this area of research is resources. You know, do, do they have the education and financial contributions or legitimacy, kind of the network connections, these types of things that are very externally valued um, and are like there's a lot of research that shows that these are linked with performance. Um, and some people that I did talk to were looking for these explicitly. Like they were, I just needed some money and <laughs> this guy was willing to give it to me. And so now we're co-founders kind of thing. Um, so yeah, the, the outcome of that paper was that there are various combinations. People do kind of have these trade-offs that they consider. Um, and we found interestingly that um, those resources that are really commonly studied in entrepreneurship were very rarely prioritized uh, among successful, satisfied co-founders. Um, and so kind of teasing that out a little bit, uh, asking some qualitative questions, uh, I found that people were not really looking to kind of like buy these off the shelf necessarily. They were thinking, I think together we can create these resources. I don't need to, um, you know, go and try to hunch above my weight, essentially, you know, like find someone who's almost like marrying up, you know, <laughs> because the other thing, the other problem with that is then you've got these terrible power imbalances within the team. Um, and a lot of the things that I heard, interestingly, when I was asking people to evaluate their co-founder, they would talk about themselves. They would say, well, I don't have that. And I never would have, you know, they didn't care about that. Um, and people talked a lot about how like, well, they think I can do amazing things and I know they can do amazing things. And so this belief that we have in each other. So ultimately we kind of found mutual respect is, is kind of what we're calling that and, and mutual trust. I mean, that was also really important too. It wasn't just that I trust them. It was that I think that they also trust me. So this sort of um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it's sort of like reciprocation, but it's reflected. You know, they see in me the potential to be a great co-founder too. And these were really important aspects that drove people to select co-founders and ultimately be satisfied with their co-founders. So that was a really long story that I just told you about one paper in my dissertation. <laughs> I'm going to pause and see if you guys have any questions about that. Yeah, I, I definitely have a question about that. Uh, so it was kind of funny when you kind of like likened it to like finding like a marriage partner, right? Like you want to, you're going to have to work with this person for a while, but I kind of want to ask about what happens when it doesn't work out. Is there some sort of protocol for the breakup? Do they have it in a contract? Like how much does it affect their product? Like, you know, bands break up all the time, but I guess right. like it's, what are the, what's going on with that? What happens when it does fail? So many great parallels. I think that it is commonly likened to like a marriage of a professional nature. Um, so it's not quite a marriage. It's not quite a coworker because, you know, obviously you're really mutually selecting into this voluntarily. You might have a lot of financial um, risk on the line with it. Um, and unlike a marriage, there isn't a great template for breakups. I mean, I think that's, uh, what you're touching on Amelie is a really important future research direction that I would like to examine because I can't even tell you the number of, of really sad stories I've heard from entrepreneurs about how devastating this was. It completely derailed them. I lived it firsthand. It was definitely a huge, contributor to me wanting to move on from the venture, which I really did initially think was going to be my kind of life's work. You know, like I, this was my first, my first startup. And of course I think every first entrepreneur is like, this is my baby, you know, but, um, uh, it really was, it was never the same after, um, one of the co-founders kind of turned on us. And so, yeah, I think it's hugely devastating. I think that there probably is a lot of practical application for understanding how people can move on from a breakup and then hopefully learn from it in terms of updating the way that they might approach selection in the future. And, and I heard that over and over again in, you know, anyone who had had a failed co-founder relationship, oftentimes, unfortunately, would maybe sort of like overcompensate to the other extreme. They would pick maybe one dimension that they realized they felt like was the root of the problem and be like, well, now I'm going to do the opposite. So that example that I kind of mentioned with familiarity of like, well, I'm never going with a familiar person again, because this familiar person that I had, it was a nightmare. Um, but oftentimes people would pick kind of arbitrary things like, well, he was a guy, so I'm going to go with a girl now. Or you know, like, I'm not really sure that that's necessarily the right approach. And so I think trying to put some, some rigorous research behind that to show, you know, how we can better update to select better would, would be an interesting future research path. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, would you consider like, are out of your dissertation, do you have plans to make practical resources for, cause I feel like obviously your research is highly practical. Like, I mean, which cannot be said for everyone's research. Some of it's more theoretical, right? But yours is highly right, right. your life experience, but also like real world outcomes, right? Like things that you'd love to see happen in the future. And so I don't know if it, like, it seems way more complicated than being like a, a like a quiz you fill out. And at the end, it's like, you're a good match or you're not like a, not a compatibility, but something more complex where it's like, here's things to consider before you go into a co-foundership together or something like that. Yeah, no, it's absolutely one of the outputs that I hope will come out of this research is some really useful tools for entrepreneurs who are navigating this very tricky path. Um, and I think there actually are quite a few 
hubs that have emerged where you can find people who also have entrepreneurial uh, goals in mind or mindset and can, they can connect, but there isn't really a platform that helps you navigate the decision, you know, asking some of these key questions that you really need to think about, you know, like, what am I willing to part with in terms of equity? How much time am I expecting this person to be doing? What am I expecting them to be doing? Um, you know, is geographic proximity important to me? Um, and, you know, what are my outcomes that I'm interested in? And do they share similar, do we, are we aligned on the kind of like vision or mission of this venture? I mean, there's a lot of questions that kind of, it's, it's this massive decision tree that I've sort of created out of the literature, um, recognizing some of the key things that are important to selecting, but then also maintaining the relationship, because that's also a really tricky thing. When you're an entrepreneur, you have no shortage of things that are taking up your time uh, and need your immediate attention. And so kind of taking the time to make sure that everything is good with that relationship is often a very low priority, you know, and, and I think that that's really where, you know, there's a lot of these hubs already. And, and there's, I think, insights from my research that can help people navigate those hubs and maybe select better. But even more importantly, I think is maintaining the relationship. And, and I think this is actually not unique to co-founders. I think that there's utility for this type of thing with all of our important relationships in life. Like we don't really think about how, how should I be maintaining the most important relationships in my life? And so I think like further down the line, I'd love to extend it to friendships and other, you know, family relationships. Like, I don't know, when's the last time that you guys thought about like, I wonder how, if I should check in with my mom to see if she's satisfied with our relationship. You know? <laughs> These well, are some of the most not. important people, you know, or, you know, a, a romantic partner too. So anyway. Yeah. What do you think about those like team building retreats that people sometimes do? Like, I know they do that often with their coworkers. Do you think that that's like a really useful thing? Like to go somewhere, like do a high ropes course or something like that, like team building kind of thing? I love that question because I'm one of those people. I I totally am in the beginning. I hate it. I'm like, oh my God, this is so awkward and uncomfortable. And then afterwards, I truly feel the connection between the people so much more strongly. The problem is it's very short-lived. You know, you have this really intense, you know, half day or whatever it is. And you walk away feeling like, wow, that was really awesome. And like, I really love that my company or my team invested the time in that. Um, but then everything just kind of goes back to the status quo where there's very little connection or, or what what have you. So I think it really needs to be a practice that's built in in a more disciplined and regular way. And um, in particular with co-founders, having time that is carved out specifically for feedback, because that's such, I mean, you have to have difficult conversations as co-founders and, and um if it's not scheduled, it's not going to happen because nobody really enjoys the idea of getting that or even delivering that kind of feedback. But it's so crucial. That's something that's kind of come out of some um, of the research that I'm doing now, which is more past my dissertation, more of like um, future work. But I've been following co-founders as they kind of navigate the ups and downs and the ability to have those difficult conversations and come to them with, uh, you know, a very objective and keeping the venture in mind kind of mindset is definitely what sets apart the successful ones and the ones that kind of have fallen the wayside. And interestingly, 
I had a group of um, eight different co-founder pairs. Three of them broke up within the time that I was following them. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, how common it is. It's, you know, these are difficult relationships to maintain because it's hard to make sure that you're on the same page about all these really important things and life gets in the way too. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, um, I, what I'm like, what I've learned, I mean, I already kind of knew this, but, um, is that entrepreneurship in like specifically out of all different business degrees seems to be something that you have to have a lot of both creativity and like, it's like a spark, like a spark of like something very special to want to like both be able to make your own business, but then also to like, yeah, be sourcing the roots of these issues. And so I'm kind of curious if you, if, if you have advice for what you would give a student who was considering like finished their MBA and is considering going back into school, because again, right, we're thinking like reshaping the way that we deal with these things instead of going in and making your own business, which is obviously if you're leaving in entrepreneurship, what you think you're going to be doing and instead going back in and potentially yeah, like helping solve issues that are fa like faced by entrepreneurs. So if you have any advice, what would you give? It's an interesting thing because I, I would say, on, I would say an academic path is very anti-entrepreneurial because, and I'll tell you why, it's a very huge time investment without knowing exactly the end game. Um, and you know, going into academia is not exactly entrepreneurial. Um, but this is what I would say. If you have interest in solving some of the problems that have emerged through your own entrepreneurial experience through research, that is a perfect application of this is actually very entrepreneurial. I mean, and I always say that entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship. You just have to go out and start doing it. Um, and so if you don't have the research chops yet, and you don't want to take five years to develop them, <laughs> you can partner. You know, this is what co-founding is. Uh, I, I have seen very few papers that are solo authored. Almost every paper is essentially a venture that is co-founded by co-authors. Um, and people who have entrepreneurial experience and recognize interesting research questions within the domain, that's a huge asset to that you bring to a research team. So I would say initially partner with somebody and make sure that this is something that you really enjoy doing. And if it is, then by all means, pursue the, the full research training. Um, I also would say that you could procure research training in a lot of different ways. It doesn't necessarily need to be a PhD. So I'm always trying to think entrepreneurially about um, how one might acquire whatever the resources that they need are. Um, for me, I always wanted to do a PhD. This was a dream for me to be able to learn and and, and get paid to do it. I've been, you know, um, kind of a, a lifelong learning junkie for, you know, since I was born. And I think that this was a really cool opportunity for me. It's not always for everybody though, because it is a huge upfront time investment. Um, it's sort of like, you know, investing a million dollars in time that may or may not pay off, you know, and to me, that's not a great calculated risk unless you are going to really enjoy that path, which, you know, is, is different for everybody. That's great. This has been very interesting, but unfortunately we are almost out of time. So if people want to find out more about your work or follow your career path, uh, do you have any social media you'd like to share so they can find you? 
Absolutely. Yes. I would love uh, to be followed. <laughs> I'm uh, Audra Quinn on Twitter, just at Audra Quinn. I also have a website that I've started, which is just AudraQuinn.com. It's A-U-D-R-A-Q-U-I-N-N. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on all the socials. So yeah, definitely find me. All right. Perfect. We will also put that in the description of the episode so that uh, our listeners will be able to find it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. This was so fun. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Emily Hutchinson, and my co-host was Brittany Melton, and we've been speaking with Audra Quinn. This episode was produced by Jordan Vanderbert. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcast at sogs.ca. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM, and you can find all of our episodes wherever you find your podcast. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of your day.